As Betsy comes to read the scripture, Paul is one of those folks that many of us may argue with or, or just feel like here's a guy who dared greatly but made some mistakes along the way, and Paul would be the first to admit that. But Paul's focus was absolute, and what you're going to hear Betsy read is what that focus is and what it needs to be for each of us. Betsy? The scriptures from Philippians 3, verses 10 through 14. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Now I understand that Betsy and Craig are going to have an autograph signing at the end of worship after their pictures in the paper. And there was a certain other small character in your arms, if I recall, in that picture. It was great to see you guys there. It's a small, private boarding school in a tiny little community called Putney, Vermont. This boarding school has less than 40 students. Every one of them is a young man between the ages of 11 and 17. You think of a small boarding school, and what you do is you think of a school for rich kids, and particularly rich young men kind of privileged, and yet this school is on the opposite end of that spectrum in many, many ways. Greenwood School was established for those kids who couldn't make it any longer in their typical schools. Every one of these young boys, without exception, has learning disabilities, and every single one has been so severely bullied in their community school setting that they could no longer survive in that setting. Every parent came to this and were at the end of their proverbial ropes as they looked at where and what they could do, where they could go and what they could do with these young men. Greenwood School was the answer. Greenwood School um, is also a school that has unusual rules and unusual expectations. One of the things that they premise their work on is that they will not simply recognize what these kids cannot do like so many schools sometimes do, and particularly other kids. What they're going to do is they're going to recognize what these children, these kids, these young men can, in fact, do. And will continue to encourage that and build that in the lives of these young men. And what's amazing about this is they have one other very significant expectation in this school, and that is that every single young man who goes through Putney, at some point in their career at that school, will not only memorize, but will also present in a very public, formal setting the Gettysburg Address. Now, I want you to think about the Gettysburg Address for just a minute. And I know that If I were to ask anyone in this sanctuary this morning to stand up and recite the entirety of the Gettysburg Address, which is, by the way, only two minutes long, that you would be able to do it. (laughs) 
But I will ask, at the end of the first line, there is a five-word phrase that for every one of these young men took their breath away. After a fairly extensive first sentence, the last five words in that first sentence of the Gettysburg Address. Anybody know? All men are created equal. Now think of these young men. Brutalized, bullied. How many, uh, and we watched this PBS special about what's called the address. And how many of them talk about the bullying and talk about the significant influence that that's had on their lives and how they, upon entering Greenwood, saw themselves as somehow missing pieces or stupid was a word that came up a lot or somehow less than. And then you come to the first line in the last five words and it took their breath away. All men are created equal. It was incredibly inspiring to watch this. And every part of Greenwood School surrounded the learning of the Gettysburg Address. They did math by it. They did sentence structure by it. They did history by it. They did everything. It's what, in the old educational terms, was called wagon wheel education, that there was a central piece and that everything centered on that piece. But here's the other deal that took my breath away. And they were very open about this. And the headmaster of the school said this at the outset of, and said it at the outset of every year. We expect you to fail. We expect you to fail at this. But at this school, failure is simply a building block for success. And so when you fail, don't worry about it. When you fail, understand that that will take you to a new level and there will come a point at which you will succeed. And we will celebrate that success. I don't remember how many it was. It was like 27 young men succeeded that year in memorizing and presenting the Gettysburg Address. And it was at this formal setting, candlelit tables, linen tablecloths, parents, friends, family, other folks gathered in this, in this room. And every one of those young men would stand up and recite with their own emphasis and their own personality the Gettysburg Address, with a couple of exceptions of other young men who didn't believe that challenge was great enough. And they would choose other more complex speeches and they would present those by memory. You could see without question the pride in the parents. More importantly, you could see it in those young men. And the other prize that they won, besides this little medallion, that said Greenwood School on it, was that all 27 of those young men with their teachers at the end of that year then took a trip to Pennsylvania and to the site of Gettysburg and saw firsthand the sacrifice that that battle particularly was and caused in the Civil War. What was amazing to me was to see the transformation and to watch as they would fail and succeed and fail and succeed and fail and succeed. And every failure created a higher level of success for all of those. And, and it took me back to this quote that I'm, I'm going to read here in just a second. Out of Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly. I was going to bring the book with me this morning and I didn't do it. She writes a book about what daring greatly means. 
and particularly in this time. There is another president that does a quote, and the daring greatly comes from that quote, and that quote comes from Teddy Roosevelt. In a time of history where he kept trying to get the country to dare greatly. But I want you to hear this quote. Teddy Roosevelt. He wrote and then spoke, It is not the critic who counts. Not the one who points out how the strong person stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the person who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends him or herself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if they fail, at least fails while daring greatly. I love that quote. And I think it sets the foundation for every one of us who claim ourselves as Christian. And it's what we heard in the words that Betsy read from Paul. Putting aside what has gone before and striving toward what is coming in the future. Let us focus in on that which will guide us, that which will direct us, that mandate that we are to follow, and that is centered in Christ Jesus. That is the one to whom we seek to follow. That is the example. And what that means for us is even on the heels of studying the Gospel of Matthew for a year, we still have more work to do. But here's the deal. The work that we have to do from now going forward is going to be centered on those two words. Daring greatly. Over the next five weeks, here are the things that I'd like to explore around daring greatly. Next week, I want to talk about the United Methodist Church. And I want to look at that symbol of the cross and flame. And if you look at that symbol of the cross and flame, it is separated into two pieces. But there is no separation if you look at the base of that flame. They are united. And there's a history that goes with that. And the history is important for us to understand, and it's even more important for us to understand, given the fact that in 2016 we come together as a world United Methodist Church with the debate on the table of whether or not we separate into progressive and conservative. What I will tell you now is that 90% of the clergy and 90% of the laity will be opposed to that separation. Because all of us believe there is a way to find our way through this time. And maybe to agree to disagree. But that is the foundation upon which we stand. And I want to talk about that next week. With the sign in mind. The sign has the United Methodist symbol on it. And it is the prominent symbol on that sign. And no matter who the pastor is. No matter what the history is. No matter where we go as a church. No matter who stands in the pulpit. That sign is a symbol, and that symbol of the cross and flame are what lead us and direct us. And it's why in the fall, my class and the sermons will be about 
kind of re-examining our Wesleyan tradition and how it will guide us into this 21st century. The week after that, I'm going to do something I've never done in this church, and that is we are going to talk openly about politics. And how do we dare greatly in this climate, in this time, with the situations that we are facing around international policy, around gun violence, around all manner of things. And how do we do that? How do we have that conversation while all daring greatly in the midst of a church that at times vehemently disagrees with each other? But we can. And it's time to raise that and talk about it. The next week we're going to talk about daring greatly as families. And the role of parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and other members of the community of the church and what does it mean to dare greatly as families. And then we're going to look at what's coming and we're going to look at John Wesley and some other things and then I'm going to bring out Brene Brown's book and we're going to talk a little bit about what she talks about regarding vulnerability in the midst of daring greatly. That's where we're headed this summer. And I desperately want you to be a part of it. To come with your ideas about what it means to dare greatly. Friends, we have gone through a year of shifting and changing. We have. And some of those shifts and changes have been positive, and some of those shifts and changes have been blown and been, been done badly. And yet we are still here, and we're still together. And vulnerability is about just being who we are and the reality of who we are. But now it's time to move beyond those shifts and changes. Now it's time to come back to what centers us as a church. And believe me, with your history, the history of Aldersgate United Methodist Church, daring greatly is a part of your DNA. And I look forward to, look forward to, continuing that legacy as a church, maybe in some new ways, and maybe reestablishing some old ways. So here's the deal. The one thing that we have to remain true to is that gospel. We have to remain true to what keeps us in focus. And Wesley said it better than anybody. The primary location, locus of who we are, what we are, and what we are to be is grounded first and foremost in Scripture. And believe me, everything from here moving forward will have that focus. I was going to show you a video this morning, and I, I think I were not because the, the computer kind of froze up. There was a group of, I think, nine women, uh, four of whom came from this church, who went over to this little country in Africa called Mombasi. And they, as a part of this organization called Build On, literally these nine women combined with the villagers and created a school, the first school ever in the history of this village. You want to talk about daring greatly. These nine traveled alone. They went to that village knowing no one. And again, four of them from this church. And what was amazing in this video was watching. What we'll do is try and get it up on the web so that you can see it on the website. What? Let's, let's show it then. See if you recognize some of these faces. Notice Linda Reichenbach and how competitive she is. (laughs) 
but also notice the faces of these children as they go through the shifts and changes. Too hasty. Okay. We'll have it up on the website. There is one picture. I've got to describe this picture of... of This is it. Can we get sound? We just need sound at this point. It's just a song I could hum. I guess. <laughs> see if you can see the competitive picture of Reichenbach that, uh, that I'm talking about. Just watch it for a minute. There's beautiful African music. So just imagine beautiful African music behind this. You see Gene Rummel, Jennifer Ting, Linda Reichenbach and Stacy Chilberg are all there. This is before the build, the faces of those children. This is them in their new well. That's building the foundation, getting ready for the foundation. And they created these bricks out of the mud of the land. And that's what's on the heads of water and mud. Here it is, right there. Isn't that something? Let me close with this thought. <clears throat> brick by brick, they created something that has now changed the lives of dozens upon dozens of children. Dozens and dozens of them. Changed the lives of a whole village and really have begun to change the lives of a whole country. One brick at a time. One relationship at a time. Because they were willing to dare greatly. I think of Thailand and what we've done as a church there. I think of so many other things. Together we build and so many other things that we have done as a church. And now we continue to move forward in wondering what God has in store for us in 2014 and 2015. If we would do but that one thing, dare greatly. So what is God calling you to do, to dare greatly? With that in mind, let's pray. God, we thank you for the work of Build On in Mombasi. For those women, those nine women who chose that as a place where they could make a huge difference. And they have. We thank you for all the hearts in this church who have dared greatly in so many ways. And now it's our turn to teach the children who come behind us to do the same to risk themselves, to dare greatly, to be creative in the way that we surround and support each other like Greenwood School in Putney, Vermont, and to answer the call that was issued by Teddy Roosevelt even in that time, to dare greatly, and to be a community that surrounds ourselves and each other in a time of failure, knowing that failure is something that builds to the next level of success. And God guide us 
in this time, in this summer, and in this coming year, and in the future, to continue to create a culture of daring greatly. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.